Well, good morning again. I'm Pastor Jay. Welcome once again to Calvary Bible Church. Why don't we go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and go ahead and stand, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Excuse me. In 2 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Father God, we thank you for your word, this very word of truth. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and give us understanding, give us insight, help us, Lord, to to apply it to our lives, that, Father, we would look inside our own hearts to see if any of this unruly, undisciplined life be in us, that, Lord, we would ultimately bring you more glory, honor, and praise. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we, we began by talking about a, a work ethic, and I relayed to you some of the work ethic that was instilled in me because of primarily my father, my mother as well, but my parents being from what they called the silent generation or, or the traditional generation generation where my dad being born in 1942. So this morning we'll continue with that theme and let me ask you again, how is your work ethic? How do you think you would do as a clerk in a London firm circa 1852? Here is what would be expected of you. This is from an actual document from a London firm, 1852. It says, number one, this firm has reduced the hours of work and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. Number two, now the hours of business have been drastically reduced The partaking of food is allowed between 1130 and noon, but work will not add, will not on any account cease. Number three, clothing must be of a sober nature. 
The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors, nor will they wear hose unless in good repair. Number four, no member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. Number five, no talking is allowed during business hours. Number six, members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens. A new sharpener is available on application to the supervisor. Number seven, the supervisor will nominate a senior clerk to be responsible for the cleanliness of the main office and the private office. All boys and juniors will report to him 40 minutes before prayers and will remain after closing hours for similar work. Brushes, brooms, scrubber, and soap are provided by the owners. And number eight, the owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but will expect a great rise in output of work to compensate for these near utopian conditions. How do you think you do in this firm? Do you think you have the work ethic to survive a London firm, 1852? This is part two of this little two-part series that we are doing called An Undisciplined Life from this passage of 2 Thessalonians, where we first learned last week of Paul's command to keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. That was in verse 6. The root word for unruly literally means to break ranks, as in a military soldier. It also can mean to behave irregularly or in a disorderly manner or to neglect one's duties. Undisciplined that we see in verse 7 is the same root word. Now the context that Paul is giving for, for these commands is work. And the fact that some in the church were not engaging in even work of any kind, which also tells us that, yes, they were acting lazily. They were acting like sluggards. So we went to Proverbs last week and we learned about the sluggard and how eventually the sluggard will find themselves impoverished. For your part, I challenge you to examine your own heart and to see if there be any unruly or undisciplined or kind of laziness in your work or lack thereof or any other area of your life is any other area unruly or undisciplined be it in regards to your family or home life or school life or extracurricular activity life are you unruly undisciplined or lazy even in your spiritual life, including your participation in this local body. And next, we learn that we should follow godly examples and the ones specifically set by Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Paul was what we call bivocational, right? He had a day job. He was a tent maker. But he also had just an an incredible work ethic, one that should be emulated by all. And he tells us, he tells us that he worked night and day with labor and hardship so he wouldn't be a burden to anyone. He wanted to be a model for others. He wanted to be a a, a bright and shining example. And he also didn't want to do anything, anything that would bring reproach upon the name of Christ or that would do anything to drag the name of, of Jesus through 
the mud. And in fact, he, he made this decision for himself that he wouldn't even accept any kind of payment from the people that he was ministering to. And again, I encouraged you to have a godly example in your life. Somebody that you could look to for maybe some help in that arena. And then ultimately that you would become a godly example for someone else. So picking back up today with Paul's example, we move on. We went through our first two points. Now we're on point number three. And that is to work hard. Work hard. We see this in verse 8 where Paul says, But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day. Now, let's start by asking the question, where does this whole concept of work come from? I mean, is, is, is work just some kind of means to an end for, for people? It's something that we have to do in order to make money, in order to pay for things. And of course, I would propose to you it's much bigger than that. I would propose to you that it goes back much further than even examples that we might have in the New Testament or examples that we might have in the Old Testament. With that, we're going to turn back to Genesis 1. This is exactly why I asked Jim to consider reading the passage that he did, that we all read together. So turn back to Genesis 1. You can keep your bookmark there in 2 Thessalonians. And let us consider who the first worker was. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. And you know how it goes, right? Day two, he creates the skies and the seas. Day three was the land and the vegetation. Day four was the sun, moon, stars, and planets. Day five was the fish and the birds. Day six, land animals, and of course... Man, and you remember what he did on day seven. Genesis 2 and verse 2 says, By the seventh day God completed his, what? Work. Which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Who was the first to work? God. God created Work. Now, we see this concept of work then being passed on to his creation. We could jump back to Genesis 1 and verse 27 and 28, where we read, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and what? Subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we might skip over to Genesis 2 and verse 15 as we did in our reading. And after creating the Garden of Eden, then the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to do what? Cultivate it and keep it. 
to work. And then God had Adam name all the animals where Adam then realizes that he doesn't have a counterpart. There's no female to his male. And so God makes Eve a helper, worker even, suitable for Adam. They are now co-laborers, co-workers in this grand experience of life. And what is most significant about the timing here with Adam and Eve and the work that they were commissioned to do is the fact that it is still day six of creation. So it's before their fall. It's before sin entering into the world, which tells us what about work. Contrary to what some of you might think, it's not a part of the fall. It's not. It's God's very good design for men and women. After the fall, man will still work, but now it will be difficult for him because the ground has been cursed with thorns and thistles and other unfavorables, and he will now toil and sweat and difficulty to make it produce. So, if indeed we were designed by God to work, what does that then tell us about how we should view work? Maybe we should start seeing work as a blessing from God with the reward of provision, food and shelter and basic necessities and all the non-necessities that we are blessed with. Work, secondly, gives us purpose. Maybe we should be thankful for it. Work should cause us to pursue it with faithfulness and vigor because God designed us for it. And lastly, we should maybe do it for God's glory. Even work you don't like. Yes, even then. And I know some see work as drudgery and And they don't find it to be very fulfilling. It's not very pleasing to them. They kind of ended up with a job that they they really don't like. And, And then the flip side is others sometimes are able to pursue jobs and careers that they love. And they're they're given certain opportunities where their job is fulfilling to them. They enjoy it. They look forward to going to work. I feel immensely blessed that this has been the case with me. First with my acting stuff and all of that, but now with ministry. (laughs) I remember I was thinking back to when I was a a high school student in Minneapolis going to a theater, performing arts high school. All the kids had agents because they did a lot of commercial work and stuff in Minneapolis. And uh, I I got hired for this job. It was for a, a radio, for a demo track. It wasn't even the real deal. It was for Swiss Miss Chocolate. And I went down to this recording studio and I had to say one word. All I had to do was say, sure. <laughs> I said it like, you know, 10, 15 times. And they handed me a check for $50. I thought, the joke's on them because I would have done it for free. <laughs> I've also had those times where work was simply a means to an end. I remember one summer specifically where times were tight and I wasn't booking any acting gigs and I had to pay the bills to keep a roof over my family's head and 
food on the table and I got a temp job and I don't type and I don't do computer stuff. So I'm doing manual labor, warehouse stuff. Yeah. No, but to the glory of God, right? To the glory of God. But even in these times, friends, we can still work for the glory of God. In Colossians 6, 5 to 8, Paul tells slaves working for their masters to be obedient, to work with fear and trembling in the sincerity of their heart as if working as slaves for Christ. Quote, doing the will of God from the heart with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. He says something similar in Colossians, adding in 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong, we could put in parentheses there, such as acting like a sluggard, he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. You don't get some pass if you're a Christian and not working heartily. Again, the overarching principle here we see in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one: whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, insert work, do all to the glory of God. And now when, when we look to Scripture, we see men as being, yes, the primary providers for their wives and families. But what about women? What about single women? Obviously, single women will work and they will provide for themselves. What about wives and mothers? Yes, Eve was a helpmate to Adam. In Scripture, we see women perform the, the duties of prophetess, and, and you had people like Deborah and Anna. In that regard, you had sisters, Mary and Martha, who worked diligently in their home to be a blessing even to Jesus' ministry. And throughout Scripture, we see some of these duties of women in taking care of their families and raising their kids and performing manual labor or being helpmates to their husbands. Just consider the Proverbs 31 woman who does things like prepares food, buys and plants a vineyard. She works hard, girding herself with strength and making her arms strong. She gathers wool and flax for making clothes. She spins wool into thread. She works into the night and when others are sleeping, she helps those in need. She sells some of the clothing that she makes in 3127. 20, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idols. And in 3131, give her the product of her hands. In other words, give her the material reward for her labors and let her works praise her in the gates. In other words, that let her have that reward and praise even in the community. And here at Calvary Bible Church, we have or have had women working as financial controller and communications director and creative director and children's ministry director. And in fact, in fact, ministry can and should be understood as work. 
We have women working and serving here in many different contexts, including teachers of other women, workers in the children and youth and college ministries and in our fellowship groups and workers who plan out and put on weddings and funerals and workers on our tech team and worker worship leaders and the list goes on. We had some some dear saintly women that showed up last weekend for the men's conference and worked and served us to the glory of God. Oh, I'd, I'd love to, we, we could do a whole message. I would love to address our young people. Maybe someday we will. More specifically, like I said, it could be a whole message. I did, got to do this for the youth at one point, and, and I, was, I was tremendously impacted by a book that's out there called Do Hard Things. Parents, if you have a teen or a preteen, get the book Do Hard Things by Alex and Brett Harris. Their byline for the book is Do Hard Things, a teenage rebellion against low expectations. Meaning they, as teenagers, kind of created their own rebellion against the low expectations that are often put on teenagers. And in the book, they they cite three tremendous examples. George Washington, at the age of 16, was a land surveyor who, by the time he was 21, was earning the modern equivalent of $100,000 a year. Clara Barton, young lady who founded the Red Cross, became her ailing brother's primary caregiver at age 11. How about this? Love this one. David Farragut, at the age of 10 was a Navy, U.S. Navy midshipman who at the age of 12 took command of his first ship. It was a captured vessel and he sailed the boat along with crew and prisoners back to the U.S. Oh yeah, he went on to become the first admiral of the U.S. Navy. We could go on, but we got to move on. So young people do hard things. Number four. Number four in our list here, don't be a burden, but provide for your own. We see this in verses eight and verse 12. Back in our text, Paul says in verse eight, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And then down in verse 12, he tells people to eat their own bread Now, this would be a good time to return to the ant and the sluggard of Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11. You can go ahead and turn back there. I promised you last week we had this uh, focus on the sluggard. Now we get to return back and consider the ant. Solomon tells us here that we are to learn from the ant. The ant is one of the, the tiniest, seemingly most insignificant creatures. So just let me give you a couple of quick facts first about the ant that would be good for you to know before we read this passage. Ants have have no sense of sight. They have a tremendous sense of smell. They are mighty engineers. They use their their mandibles, their their pincher looking claws near their mouth for carrying and biting and crushing and cutting and digging and fighting and hunting. I don't know if you saw it. It was a thing. I think it was going. I saw it on uh, one of my news apps. They had this. Uh, I think Nikon or somebody has this small picture, uh, microscopic picture uh, contest, and they this. It's it's all over the internet. It's this tight close up of the face of an ant 
oh man, it's like nothing you've ever seen in the Halloween mask store. I mean, it's creepy, right? Just totally, and they got their, like big fangs and all this cool stuff. But yeah, so you have to look up the uh, this, this ant picture on, online somewhere. But um, they do crushing, cutting, digging, fighting, and hunting. They have three pairs of legs to move fast and tread lightly on surfaces. They have the ability to expand their colonies for hundreds, even thousands of feet. They can travel up to 100 yards from the colony in in search of food, and they can lift 20 times their own weight. If a second grader was as strong as an ant, they would be able to pick up a car. <laughs> Think about that, right? Three kinds of ants in the colony. You have queen, female workers, and males. The queen's job, lay eggs. Male ant's job is to, yeah, mate with the future queen ants. Female workers are the most hardworking most hardworking insects in the world as their responsibilities include finding food, building the colony walls, and keeping the queen fed. The workers build the colony by combining soil and their saliva and piling them up together in order to form sturdy walls. Then you have soldier ants that protect the queen, defend the colony, gather and, and kill food, attack the enemy colonies in search of food and nesting space if they defeat another ant colony they take away the eggs of the defeated colony okay you got that let's look at proverbs 6 beginning in verse 6 go to the ant O sluggard observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. Now, here's what we learn from this passage about the work ethic of an ant and how the ant provides for and takes care of their own. Number one, the ant works. The ant works, it prepares food, gathers provision, it builds walls, and it protects its own. And frankly, the ant's life and the rest of the colony's life depends on this work. The ant looks out for its own. Secondly, the ant is self-motivated. There is no chief officer or ruler. Ants intrinsically know what needs to be done and they do it without anyone telling them what to do. The ant doesn't need coaching or a pep talk, doesn't need incentives to persuade them or or to get them to work hard or they don't need to be paid, bribed or forced. Thirdly, the ant plans. We see that in our text. The ant knows when summer and harvest are coming and how preparations and provisions need to be made and lastly the ant is diligent the ant is industrious and works hard in fact the work of an ant is never done but rather it's always this ongoing cycle of planning preparing providing and protecting and this friends should be true of us so that we don't have to eat of anyone's bread We don't have to be a burden to anyone. We can indeed eat our own bread, provide for ourselves, provide for our own. And as often as is the case, it is sometimes helpful to to address this by means of, of what Paul is not saying. 
he is, he is not saying that when you are invited to somebody's house, you have to pay for your meal. All right, yeah, that's, that's, that's not what he's saying. Maybe those who invite themselves should offer to pay for the meal, right? Um, but, you know, we talked about those last week, those who, who popped around from house to house, always the dinner guest, but never the host, mooching off others. And, and this is what Paul is getting at. This is his concern that some people were sinfully taking advantage of others. And in so doing, we're burdening those people, having them to, to be in a position where they would need to spend more money on food even than, say, they could afford. You know, when you go on a, a short-term missions trip, and, and hopefully we'll get some of those going again here at Calvary Bible Church. When you go on a short-term missions trip, you know, you go and there's always usually the missionaries that you're visiting. And they will oftentimes host you and put you up even at their house But what you don't want to do as a team, even though you're there to work and help, is you don't want to be a burden to them. You don't want to you don't want to have to have them spend more money to host you and 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 buy your food and whatnot. I remember when we went to uh, Russia on our first trip um, and uh, and the the church there that we were visiting, we were with the pastor and his family, some other people from the the church and man they wanted to do it up for us and and they went out to the market and they they bought shashlik it's kebab basically and and man they they roasted it over the barbecue and it was amazing and then afterwards we gathered up you know money and and contributed the money to to buy the shashlik to to you know, bless them and leave them with some money for even putting us up and us eating their food etc which which blessed them. But yeah, we didn't want to be a burden. And Paul made sure that when he and the other missionaries, he made sure that they were not being a burden to their their hosts, those people that they were there to minister to and help. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, <clears throat> what Paul is not saying is that there is not a time or place to reach out and help brothers or sisters in need. Of course there is. And this is why we have things like a benevolence fund here at church. And it's wonderful when you see the body of Christ come alongside a brother or sister in need and and seek to help them and come alongside them and and care for them and, and help to provide for them when they are in that time of need until they get back on their feet. And what Paul is talking about are people in this case who end up in need, though, because of doing no work at all. And living that unruly, undisciplined life. This leads us to Paul's next command. Number five. No work, no reward. No work, no reward. We see this in verse 10. Back in our text of verse 10. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. And when he says order, that's military language for charge or command. We used to give you this charge or command. If anyone is not willing to work then he is not to eat either. And this goes back to Paul's initial command for believers to keep away from those living the unruly, undisciplined, lazy lives, those who are not those, excuse me, not who are unable to work, but rather those who are unwilling to work. In other words, this person should be cut off. 
and not given provision if they are able-bodied and of, say, sound mind. These folks should not be enabled to carry on their kind of freeloading of others. And sometimes, yes, we maybe have to do that tough love kind of thing and gently but firmly say, no, no. And you think if everybody did that with somebody like this and just said no, how long do you think it would be before, before that person kind of woke up and snapped to and realized, oh, this isn't working. I'm not getting the freebie stuff anymore. I guess if I want to remedy things, I am going to have to work, work and provide for my own. And again, I nor Paul are suggesting that there aren't legitimate situations and needs for people who are in tough financial spots. Instead, he's speaking to those who, again, are sinfully unruly and undisciplined. This takes us to number six. Don't act like busybodies. Don't act like busybodies. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. And here's what's interesting. This is interesting because guess what the word for busybody means? It means concerning work. It's, it's from this Greek word ergatsomai. That's the word that means work. We put this little prefix peri in front of it, peri ergatsomai. And now it means concerning work or in regard to work. In other words, it has this understanding then of, of to be working all around, bustling about, doing everything, but really doing nothing. That's the point. These people try to play things off or make it look like they're working when indeed they're really not. In fact, they're doing no true work at all. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 15, referring to some pitfalls that a young widow might allow themselves to fall into, um, Paul says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies same word talking about things not proper to mention or in first thessalonians chapter 4 back in verses 11 to 12 paul says to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need Because in other words, when you are unruly and undisciplined and acting like a busybody, you are ruining your own testimony. You're ruining your testimony as a Christian and you start dragging the name of Jesus through the mud. And of course, people are now going to look at you and cry, what? (laughs) Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Theodore Roosevelt called Anthony Wayne... Brigadier General at 34, quote, the greatest field general America ever produced. Wayne was better known as Mad Anthony. And with the British encamped at Germantown, George Washington held one of his inevitable councils of war. And Wayne was all for attacking without delay. But most of the other officers sat around the table offering innumerable excuses for holding back. And when all the dissenting votes were in, Washington turned to Wayne, sitting quietly in a corner reading a book. What would you say, General? 
Wayne slammed the book shut, then rose slowly to his feet, glaring defiance at the group of distinguished officers. I'd say nothing, sir. I'd fight. That's that. Brother or sister, in this situation, you need to not talk about work or try and look like you're working. You simply need to work. You simply need to work. It's the Nike slogan, just do it. Next, looking to verse 12, Paul also instructs us to work quietly. Number seven, work quietly. Back in verse 12, he says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion. And again, we see Paul pull out that authority card here, right? This gets a little intense. It's very strongly worded. We command, we exhort these persons. And he's not just saying, I command, I exhort you. But in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion. And we saw this back in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1 when he says, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. When Paul wants to get a little intense with it, then he invokes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what is Paul getting at here when he tells them you need to work in a quiet fashion well think about it he just mentioned in verse 11 how those leading an undisciplined life doing no work at all but acting like busybodies which is really the opposite of working in a quiet fashion quiet fashion meaning tranquility stillness and paul's not referring to volume here he's not saying you have to you have to find a a job uh, where you have to have hushed tones or or like in our opening illustration the london firm where there was mm, zip it no talking during the day. I mean, can you imagine one of the, uh, the vendors at Dodger Stadium, you know, like, popcorn, popcorn, get your popcorn. No, of course there's a time and a place for hollering it out. What he is saying is that your work should not be such that it draws some kind of negative attention to yourself in a way that does not honor God or because of your lack of work that you resort to being a busybody. Doing all this hustle bustle and making it look like you're working, but you're really doing nothing. Rather, these folks were to stop being busybodies. They were to start working in an orderly, God-honoring fashion, providing for their own and developing a work ethic that would promote peace, not dissension. Thus being a blessing to those inside the church, as well as maintaining that solid testimony to those outside the church i mean you really you notice the difference right you notice the difference between someone who's kind of brash and loud at work and they always have an opinion or a complaint and they just don't seem to ever stop talking or gossiping and you know they seem to waste a lot of time versus somebody who just kind of silently perseveres they work hard they encourage others when appropriate they they help others who might need a hand but they're seeking peace And they're working in a quiet fashion in that respect. Both are noticed, right? One positively, though, and one negatively. And you think negatively, what a tragedy 
if that unruly, undisciplined, lazy person is, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Positively, the one who works in a quiet fashion will maintain a testimony of integrity and dignity before an unbelieving world. Lastly, number eight, Paul then wraps things up by saying, do good, right? Verse 13, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. In Galatians 6 and verse 9, Paul adds a reward. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Referring to reaping the rewards, of course, of eternal life, as in verse 8. You may have heard the saying, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. Right? Don't let the turkeys get you down. Right? That's what it, you know, up in Weaverville, we shoot turkeys. We eat turkeys. Don't let them get you down. It's tough. You know what? We got peacocks in our neck of the woods now. Maybe, maybe one will go missing around Thanksgiving. We'll give that a try. I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. No, that just went out on the Internet to Los Angeles. And, you know, yeah, yay. I know it's tough sometimes. It's tough to try and do good for the glory of God in the world we live in. Because sometimes what we see as being good, according to the scripture, is not perceived out there in the world as being very good, right? Al Mohler likes to talk about things that promote, quote, human flourishing, such as a marriage being between one man and one woman. But a lot of things are viewed out there in the world by many in our society as that which is actually detrimental to human flourishing. Things that we see in scripture, they would say, are detrimental to human flourishing. And yes, your doing of good to the glory of God, it, it'll be a stench of death to some. It, it, it will be, it'll be a huge put off. It'll make even some people angry. And yes, there'll be some that will want to shut you down. And the tendency when this happens for us, when we are persecuted for doing good is to kind of what? Pull back. And just kind of do a little bit less. Oh man, I, I don't want people to be angry with me or mad at me. I don't want to rock the boat. And so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pull back a little bit, you know. Please, friends, don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. Because for others, your doing of good, it will be a sweet aroma. It'll be an attractant. People will be like, man, they, I, I want to know what makes this person tick. You know, because I haven't seen something like that out there in the world lately. And, and man, I, I, I think they got something going there. I better, better find, out, find out a little bit more about them. And then you have that opportunity to be a gospel witness, right? Then you have that opportunity to tell them, you know what, I wasn't always this way. Oh, truly, I mean, I, I, was, I was held captive by the devil to do his will. But God... Right, But God, being rich in His grace and His mercy, saved me. He showed me that I was a sinner. He showed me that my sin had consequences. 
death, hell, even the lake of fire. But you see, he so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus. Who went to the cross in my place on my behalf to take my sin upon himself to pay the price that I should have paid. He paid the price for it when he died on the cross and had his body broken, his blood shed for me and for you, friend. And if you would repent and believe, if you would put your trust in Jesus as 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 savior, as the Lord of your life, you will be forgiven of your sin You will be blessed with the Holy Spirit to live inside of you for the rest of your days. And then you will be able to say no to sin and living an unruly, undisciplined, lazy life. And you will be indeed blessed by God. You will have eternal reward to look forward to. You will have the kingdom of heaven to look forward to. You want to have those kinds of opportunities, friend. You don't want to have that hypocrite, hypocrite opportunity. No. Anglican Bishop Hugh Latimer was somebody burned at the stake by Catholic Queen Mary I. And he said this, We must first be made good before we can do good. We must first be made just Before our works can please God. When we are justified by faith in Christ. Then come good works. So what are what are your takeaways this morning? Kind of like last week. I want to encourage you to do some self evaluation. Evaluate yourself and 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 look inside your own heart. Ask the Lord to help you to do this and 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 ask yourself what what's my work ethic like? Are you a hard worker? And if not, will you repent and put a plan of change in place? And again, evaluate yourself. Do you provide for your own? Or are you sinfully a burden to others? And if need be, will you repent and put a plan of change in place? And again, evaluate yourself. Do you act like a busybody? Is your Work just for show. Are you out there doing a lot, but you're really not doing anything? Will you repent and put a plan of change in place? Number four, evaluate yourself. Do you work in a quiet fashion, seeking to give glory to God and looking to maintain a solid testimony amongst believers as well as unbelievers? And if not, will you repent and put a plan of change in place? And lastly, Evaluate yourself. Do you grow weary of doing good? I wouldn't be surprised if you do. I think as believers, we we all do at some point. So will you focus on the reward of eternal life all the more? All the more. And if you find yourself growing weary, repent and look to Christ to help you. The spirit inside of you to lead you, and help you to not grow weary. And again, I submit to you Colossians 3, 23 to 24. We read it earlier, but we'll read it one last time. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these, again, truths that we have learned and, and mined from, from uh, your word here about what it means to work hard and, and to not grow weary of doing good and to not be a, a burden on others. Father, I pray that there, if there are any here this morning that need to first and foremost, before they can do good, actually become good through the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning salvation, forgiveness of sins, that would be our prayer. We want you to be glorified and, and we want you to be exalted um, through our good deeds, our hard work done for your glory and out of love. For you and your son. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.